What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Shake them ropes, Jeff Hawkins, Chris Novembrito, back for another week of hilarity and lighthearted looks at booking and whatever the hell it is we do here. Hi, you have to do this. Hi. Hi. <laughs> the books of Charles <laughs> Dickens, yes. Uh,. Well, everyone was doing Orwellian, but I'm bringing back Dickensian. Oh, really? Uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna spam other authors, you know, uh, I'm I'm gonna you know Kafka esque. I'm gonna bring back two next since yeah, Orwellian's getting played out. We're a highfalutin show, so you know I have no problem with the literary references. You know, let's do this. A little Melville. We can bring some Melville back into pro wrestling discourse. No one ever says that was very Melvillean. Oh, they do, though. Like, if, if you have somebody who's hyper-focused on winning a championship, it becomes his white whale. It becomes very Melvillian. Uh, I, uh, people always say, oh, it's kind of like a Moby Dick situation or something like okay. that. I don't, I don't right, feel fine. like we get... We don't get Melvillian uh, the same <laughs> way we get, you know, Kafka-esque. Very or, true. Orwellian. Yeah, let's, let's bring back Hawthornian. Well, you know who gets really shafted in all of this is Huxley. Yeah, he he wrote probably the better uh, and more salient of the two dystopic novels of the 20th century. And uh, wait, no between ever, 19, like, wait between 1984 and and Brave New World, you think Huxley gets short shrift? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. I, I I I I mean, you know, n- not to get lost in the weeds there, but I I tend to think to a it's an inferior degree. book. I think. Yeah, but I think it's a better model of dystopia. Um, I think uh, 1984 is so heavy on the fear, whereas I think the omni-state idea of, like, it's very pleasurable um, just giving all your rights away. And this idea of, like, giving everything away because it's convenient, I think, is probably a little more on the money. And that's why I say Huxley gets short shrift, because no one's ever like, oh, this is very Huxley-esque, whereas there are lots of things in modern life and living like i'll give you a good example without getting kind of too in the weeds in this online banking like on your phone or whatever um you're trading away a lot of like privacy um you're i mean you're getting financial information onto your phone but it's convenient um and i think people make those trade-offs all the time i think huxley's kind of on the money with that but no one's ever like oh that's very huxley-esque this has been freshman dorm talk (laughs) 
I'm bringing it back, Hawkins. <laughs> We're going to do that for a podcast as part of the Voices of Wrestling Network. Uh, I think deep during the middle of the week. I'm, I'm lonely <laughs> these days. Uh, they, it's not safe to go outside anymore, so I just have to sit and think and ruminate on my thoughts. Rest in peace, Jim Crockett Jr., the man who formulated my wrestling fandom, passing away of kidney failure age 76 this past Wednesday night while AEW was on the air. It's thought that he might have passed away during the Tully Blanchard FTR match, which given all the all the symbolism there would have been, I think, fitting. Jim Crockett Jr. took over Jim Crockett Promotions in 1973 and for 12 years operated a wrestling territory and built a powerhouse without a top 20 media market. If you can believe that. Because I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here, kids. There was nothing sports related between Washington, D.C. and Atlanta, Georgia until they finally got the Charlotte Hornets and the Carolina Panthers. There was minor league baseball. There was... Some college sports, if you're an ACC fan, probably college basketball would be your jam. You'd get the Globetrotters and Disney on Ice and all those other touring type of shows. And you had professional wrestling. And Jim Crockett, from 1973 to 1985, built this powerhouse without major television, unlike some of the other territories like Mid-South and World Class and Vern Gagne's AWA, and especially the WWF up there in the Northeast, which had the New York market. Now, Crockett did find his way into a top 20 market win after the WWF spectacularly failed on Black Saturday. He bought that time slot for $1 million from Vince McMahon, who vowed he would, quote, choke on that $1 million. The NWA, I will tell you, my favorite territory it's a territory i grew up on uh the latter days of the of jim crockett were my peak the horseman era and stuff like that vince mcmahon actively worked against jim crockett when crockett was number two and was trying to expand nationally which was the demise of jim crockett quite frankly because i don't think i don't think he had the right people to help him expand nationally i think they did a little bit too quick I think Dusty Rhodes was probably a bad influence on that part because they liked spending money. They liked being big time because they made a lot of money at the same time. But, you know, killing the Chicago territory, trying to run shows in L.A. when, you know, you really didn't have a lot of TV exposure. You had one channel out there, etc. Probably too much too soon. Uh, Two things that Vince McMahon did that were underhanded that absolutely killed Jim Crockett in the pay-per-view race. 1987 Starcade. He counter-programmed that with an idea called Survivor Series on pay-per-view. Cable providers said, oh great, we can have both shows, we'll have six hours of wrestling on a Sunday and people can do it one time. And Vince McMahon said, no, I don't want you all to do that. And if you all do that, I'm not coming back onto your cable systems. Okay, fine. Well, Jim Crockett says, well, we'll do it again with the Bunkhouse Stampede Finals in January. Well, guess what? Vince McMahon all of a sudden decided he was going to have a special idea on the same night that they were running this pay-per-view because cable writers sided with Crockett on, on, the, on the aforementioned Stark 887 thing. So 
on the night of this giant bunkhouse stampede finals, Vince McMahon on the USA Network runs an idea called the Royal Rumble for the first time on USA, which Hacksaw Jim Duggan won. I remember watching that as well as Chi-Town, uh, Chi-Town, I think it's Chi-Town Heat. Chi-Town Rumble's another event, but, you know, and from there, you know, Vince McMahon would basically strong-arm cable companies to rot, not run Crockett pay-per-views. There was one thing where, hey, if you're going to run our pay-per-views, you're not allowed to run a pay-per-view either 30 days before or 30 days after a WWF event, which really put Crockett in a bind. And as that happened, and as the money kept on being spent, as he paid for Mid-South and tried to build a national network out of that, if anybody remembers the Wrestling Network out of Dallas and moving the headquarters there, and that's when Jim Ross and Dr. Death and all those guys came aboard, the bills started piling up, and eventually Turner had to buy him out. And from there, he really didn't do much wrestling after that. He tried to restart a promotion with Paul Heyman after that, and then he had another show after that that kind of fizzled as well, went to real estate, and was one of those guys that just you never heard from again. And interesting enough, ad-free shows just did like a six-hour sit-down interview with Crockett. I've watched most of it. I, I got access to it. And, you know, it's... It's it's an interview with an old promoter. Some of the details may be fuzzy and stuff. But, you know, Crockett built up a tag team territory into a singles promotion, focusing on guys like Paul Jones, Wahoo McDaniel, Ric Flair, Blackjack Mulligan, Ricky Steamboat, Tito Santana, Johnny Valentine, Greg Valentine, and then later coming in, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Ron Garvin, Magnum TA, all these guys that are celebrated from their past. I was a little disappointed, but, you know, it's expected that Vince McMahon's not going to put a graphic up there to say rest in peace because, you know, history's written by the winners. But God bless him, Jim Crockett, in a, in a day and time where young Jeff Hawkins couldn't make friends very well, he could always talk. Did you watch that wrestling on Saturday? Oh, yeah, I did. Did you see what Ric Flair did? Yeah. And that's how a lonely... <laughs> Nerdy outcast made friends with other kids by talking wrestling. Rest in peace, Jim Crockett. Chris, any thoughts? Oh, whenever you do these kind of big, long eulogies, you always <laughs> do a much better job at it than anything I'd have to add involving Jim I... Crockett specifically. I, I mean, I, th I think about him, obviously, as the guy who lost to Vince McMahon in the 80s wars. Uh, and, I mean, I think of him as more than that, too, obviously. And I think of NWA as more than that. And there's a lot of really good and fun NWA shows from the 1980s. But I think part of what Crockett ran into, and my understanding of the territory days is a little fuzzier. Um, I'm not, like, an epic historian or anything like that. But I think, you know, Gagne was old. So he, even though he would have liked to have competed against a young Vince McMahon, Vern was too old to actually compete against a young Vince McMahon, and his ideas were too old. Um, young Vince McMahon was going to run circles around him. Jim Crockett, I don't know that he really wanted to compete, and I think that was sort of his Achilles heel, is that 
Vince wanted to compete. Vince wanted to own the entirety of the wrestling industry. And like, I'll interject I, here. I'll interject here just a little bit. Dusty okay. wanted to compete. Okay, sure. And I think through Jim Crockett, that's why they made the push to go national. But maybe there's a difference between Dusty and Jim. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. Jim fell victim to the stardom of, of it all, you know. And, you know, D- Dusty was the creative genius, but Jim was the business guy. And so it's one of those things where it's like, hey, hey, daddy, if we're going to be seeing a big thigh, we're going to need to rent these two private jets because that's how the big boys do it, you know, up there. So they'd be renting private jets and doing, you know, twofers and on Sundays and, you know, just wasting money that way. And, you know, you got to spend money to make money, baby. You know, that kind of thinking really took him out. For, for me... It's weird because Jim Crockett never wanted to put the other guys out of business because Starcade, which was his brainchild, really, was kind of a celebration of the different territories because you had AWA guys working those shows. Like the Road Warriors came in and worked. Uh, that might have been a, I might be mixing that up with the Great American Bash at some point. But they worked one of those early Starcades when they were still AWA tag champs. You know, he, he, he had no problem working with the other territory guys because that's what it was. Like, the old territories were a consortium of guys who had their territories, much like the mob, if you're going to use that. And but, you could do talent swapping and stuff. And, like, I, I that's, I guess, what I was getting at with the, the Crockett comments. Vince, wa- Vince wanted to destroy Vince people. Wanted the whole thing. He wanted the yes. risk board. He was playing yes. as, like, a game of risk. Um, Or Game of Monopoly. And I think Jim Crockett and, like, Vern and, you know, Lawler and and a number of these different people more or less were like, you know, I'm pretty okay with this tri-state territory. Um, We've got a business here. And it was also good in terms of how it worked for talent. It gave talent options to go to different places, but it also gave promoters – the option to move people on, like, you know, Bruiser Brody's a good example of somebody who he'd be great for a while, and then you, you you might have some issues getting Brody to do what you want, and it was time to move on from Brody. Um, and in the old territory system, that worked well. But, like, yeah, if, you know, Brody had just WWF to work for, um, he never did any runs in WWF, did he? He was, I believe he might have done it in WWWF. Yeah, but not, yeah, but not in Vince's like, territory. He not, mostly yeah. in the states. He did he did the Texas territories. I think he did a brief run in like he he did he did uh, Georgia some too, but it was always like in between the Japan stints. But yeah, I I just like I mean you know different era a little bit like a slightly different generation. I it's hard to imagine Brody like lasting in like Vince's especially yeah. WWE. Um, totally different vibe, totally different environment. No, agreed. Uh, I will point people towards, of course, the Wrestling Observer this week has a great obituary on Jim Crockett Jr. If you want to read more about him and his fascinating family story and how he was the guy who didn't want to take over the family business either. He was kind of thrust upon it at a young age and, uh, and built something out of it. It, it. Really touching story. And uh, I'm going to watch some Mid-Atlantic episodes to uh, to celebrate his life. But we're going to jump into current wrestling news right now. It's not official, 
but it falls into one of those things that has been confirmed by numerous people that dating back to February 24th, it has been talked about internally that NXT may be moving to Tuesdays in April and the talked about switch being right after WrestleMania with April 13th being the first Tuesday date. This has been discussed internally over the last week within WWE as well as NBC Universal. The only thing we can officially confirm, we being uh, Wrestling Observer, is that it's something discussed at different times of late, more in recent weeks, after the decision to shutter NBC Sports Network and move key sports programming to USA, because they had had Hockey Night on Wednesdays. And this is part of very significant discussions last week. People in WWE, of course, are not commenting and are denying the story that the move is going to take place. But it seems like it's an af it's a inf- what was I gonna say an affirmation uh, informality. I feel like it's inevitability. Like a float. Uh, inevitability is what you're saying. I I feel like it's almost more like a test balloon. Uh, I think this would be a misstep on this level. Uh, I don't think they're going to ever win the ratings war between AEW. They've been either tying or losing. Uh, it kind of varies from week to week here. Uh, AEW can't break one million, uh, but. I think them moving to Tuesday will not help their ratings all that much. And moreover, and I think this is the bigger problem, this will free up some of the market share to AEW and help it break $1 million, which would be bad for WWE. I think it behooves them to have something there sucking eyeballs off of AEW, even if it's losing. I think AEW would increase viewership with this move, and I don't think anything would happen with NXT. I think NXT might actually lose viewers, to be honest. That's what I'm saying. You. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with that, but I see. And, I think and in it's, this sense, that's why I think it's bad strategy, right? Like, Yeah, I don't, but I don't think it's their choice. I don't choice. see the point. Well, okay, I don't think, that's fair. I don't think it's their choice. I think they want to put – because this NBC – because now they're kind of at the – mercy of of the parent company and we'll talk a little bit about jeff's status with peacock after the news but um yeah is chris going to have to take over shake them ropes and (laughs) subject you all to some of these deep thoughts like uh reflective glory in the moon or whatever i opened this week's show with but nbc nbc is really pushing um they, they are not happy about having to shutter the sports network due to lack of interest and they have these properties that do get ratings on it occasionally. And one of those is the NHL and Wednesday night is their hockey night. So I could see it being that. And then USA going, well, you know, we're not really killing it in the ratings department here. We could still move this property and keep our relationship with the WWE intact here. I think it's, I think it's kind of a, it's not WWE's idea, but they'll go, okay, we understand because you're our bosses here. Yeah, uh, I, I just think that this is really good news for AEW then. If this is strategically motivated, I think you and I both agree in terms of the cause-effect relationship, this seems to be bad strategy. And if it's not strategically motivated and it's just – NBC going, we don't even really care that much about you. We care more about hockey. Uh, so we're going to kind of move you around like USA used to do with the Westminster Dog Show. Uh, well, they have I a think... family of properties, and they got to keep all the family members happy. And, and nothing warms my soul and really speaks to 
my inner child more than corporations who talk about their associations with individuals and entities in terms of <laughs> familial structures. I like being told by a boss, wear family hair. Because uh, I've always felt that, that that's very akin to the actual work experience. Part of the NBC family of properties, I believe, is how they refer to it. Yeah. Isn't that great? Brother <laughs> WWE or sister. Mike Johnson over at PW Insider. Still has me blocked. Is reporting that WWE is mulling over a decision on holding a two-night NXT takeover on the Wednesday and Thursday prior to this year's WrestleMania. So, if you're doing the math, kids, that means you'll have a three-hour Raw on Monday, probably two-hour NXT on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, two don't hours. forget about the two-hour lead-in potentially on Tuesday. Oh, possibly. Well, that might just be a Road to WrestleMania special that they run on USA. Friday, you have a two-hour SmackDown for the go-home. And then, Saturday and Sunday... Four-hour shows apiece of WrestleMania. Do do they want to keep their fans? Do they wait, wait. WrestleMania they... is going to be spaced over two nights on Friday or on Saturday and Sunday. I believe so. Yes. It has it hasn't been it, hasn't been it's it has cruel. not been it's it has not been nailed down to yeah. someone who likes wrestling to make them watch this much wrestling, especially because. I mean, like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom has often turned in some pretty dope shows, uh, you know, year over year. And, and those are long shows, but especially with the main events at Wrestle Kingdoms, uh, especially on those great shows, definitely worth it. Fun journey. Sometimes you get, like, a weird intermission thing with, like, anthropomorphic people or dressed up like animals and all that sort of stuff. It's fun. Uh, but WWE WrestleMania quality product in recent years has not been that kind of a fun journey. And I, I just think like eight hours is asking so much out of anyone. It, it, it is, it's work at that point. Eight hours is a work day. Chris, if you're a real fan, you'll watch all of it. Damn it. Because if you have the WWE network or now Peacock, what, what other entertainment do you need? You get all of it. You don't need to watch other programming. We're just going to program it all the time for you. Yeah, I mean, some people used to find their families stimulating, but you don't even have to find your family <laughs> stimulating anymore because you just watch WWE. Oh, my goodness. I, you don't even uh, have to like your kids if you really put your mind to it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <sighs> that's true. Uh Okay, Peacock update. Very, very interesting turn of events as Jeff randomly decided to look up somebody he knew from his past at the University of Virginia, person who was a couple years ahead of him, who was a media reporter, some kind. Well, guess what, Chris? Turns out this individual is the vice president of editorial at Peacock Network now. Guess what Jeff is looking to apply to? Editorial, parentheses, WWE, at the Peacock Network. So Jeff, who has had some interactions with this individual, wrote him on LinkedIn, because he has an open LinkedIn account, and said, hey, <laughs> you may not remember me, <laughs> but we used to talk movies and things of that nature on the local UVA intranet, 
And I just had some questions about the position because I'm applying for it. And just to see if I'm right for it. And yes, so in a yet another interesting dink, Jeff has shot yet another shot at this fruitless gesture of having to be involved with the WWE again. What do you say? He has not yet replied. I only did this last night. Uh, so we are waiting for a response currently. <clears throat> All right. All right. Well, fingers crossed, people, for Jeff. Uh, and obviously... Actually, I if he will... doesn't answer me, I'm going to throw people to his LinkedIn page, which is open for messages, because he has that LinkedIn gold account or whatever it is where he pays to allow anybody to contact him and whatnot. I'm, I may just send a, send a fleet of Twitter followers to go The ST him. Army. See what I did there? <laughs> what, do we, what do we call our, our the Shakers? The, the young the shakers ST, of shake the them up? ST army, like like shake them str army. <laughs> the you know what? It's not it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not. Is this like uh, is this like Apollo? I almost called Apollo Creed. It'd be like Apollo, Apollo Cruz's Cruise army. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh God, uh, we'll get into Apollo here. Are, are, will we? Because I I don't know. Uh, so that's the update on that. Fingers crossed for me, kids, that I at least get in the room and I get to talk about, you know what grinds my gears about this network? And you're, <laughs> I can just see myself, because I signed up for Peacock this week because, oddly enough, they're not being very helpful with the migration process with accounts. You kind of have to do it on your own. And, and I am, I, uh, Peacock is hard to navigate for me right now. I'm still trying to learn it a little bit. It's not that hard, but it's visually, it's a little difficult for me. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> let's hope I don't get a call. And then it's like, you know why I hate your product, sir. And then it becomes that Costanza thing when he goes to the New York Yankees and he just yells at them and they go hire this man. That's, that's my dream. <laughs> Oh, AEW finished sixth place on Wednesday night with 934,000 viewers and a point three three in the demo, 425,000, which is actually a little bit down because women were watching MTV's The Challenge. What's NXT the challenge? It's, it's basically an offshoot of all their reality people in physical competitions for money because they don't want to get real jobs, but it's now kind of gone cross-cultural and it includes people like leo rush did last season of the challenge oddly enough lolo jones former olympian was on it last season competing against all these <laughs> for lack of a better term fame whores from previous mtv reality shows and you know they live in a house and they get drunk and they hook up with each other and then oh, they do no obstacle, way. and then they do oh, obstacle man. courses for money you know, I bet you I bet you that house has all sorts of drama. <laughs> yeah, NXT finished 19th with 692,000 viewers and a .20 259,000 in 18 to 49. Which is interesting cuz now I am going to gush. I am going to gush on this first hour of AEW. I may not have had fun watching a first hour of a wrestling program 
other than a takeover in a long, long time, Chris, that Shaq tag match, boy, better that than over-delivered. It had, that that over-delivered in a substantial way. It was a better very, than it very had fun match. Any right to be. Shaq looked like he could move. He did the he did the Shane McMahon Ali shuffle, which I laughed at. His chops, Chris. That chop he put on Cody. I I felt bad for both Cody and any future children he had because I could feel that thing, the TV thing, through the through the TV when it popped. He went through a table from the apron, Chris. Oh, it was a great spot. That that and it was a novel spot. You know what I mean? Like it's not a spot that you see all the time. It's not a standard celebrity spot. It's a good spot in terms of using it was two tables, making sure that you have both tables there to really sort of cushion Shaq's fall. Uh and, and it looked good. And uh, that was a really fun way to finish off the match, which got the shine back onto uh Cargill and Red Velvet. For them to close out the match because they're the people who their camera really needed to be on at the end of the match. And yeah, no, I, I thought that this really, really over delivered in a serious way. And Shaq was much better than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, and <laughs> a little bit of trouble on that second table, which QT Marshall did help out on, uh, which made me laugh. Uh, Jade Cargill, there's obviously something there. If they would get her away from posing after every time she does a move, I'd be much happier with her progress. It feels like a very WWE type of thing to do, to be honest with you. And not to get short shrift, because I've seen not a lot of people talk about this in the commentariat. Red Velvet is not a ring general by any means uh, to, of you know of the definition of the word. She hasn't had a lot of experience, especially on a national stage. I thought she did a fine job of keeping this match going, working with Jade and making her look like a million bucks. I loved the moonsault off the top onto the floor. Yeah, it was a she great made, spot. I mean, she, if she's not signed, I think she is. They should, because she is charismatic as hell. I think she is signed, considering they have her as, like, Brandy's mentor, mentee, or whatever. Like, the way they've got her build, I think she's got to be under contract. But, I mean, kudos to AEW for putting their faith in two people of with this limited experience to pull this off I, in a I celebrity a match. I a lot of that. On Red Velvet too. I I, I think you're you're dead on the money here. I Jade, I like Jade. I definitely think she has something to offer. She's got the look. Uh, I, she's a very striking visual appearance. Um, and she is really athletic. I think that she still sort of suffers from. It's kind of the same thing that you always say about Penelope Ford who I'm a little more high on than you, I think. But you, you don't like the fact that she's a little spot-dependent. And I feel like Jade Cargill also currently suffers from, even perhaps more so, uh, spot-dependency. Uh, well, she should she... be. At this level, Jade Cargill should be spot-dependent because she hasn't been in long. Now she does need to learn better fundamentals, but I, I'll, yes. I'll give her a pass over Penelope Ford, who's been in a little bit longer than, than Jade Cargill. Well, I but I, I don't disagree with your assessment either. either. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and I, so that that's, you know, I, you don't want to overexpose Jade Cargill. 
And they were in danger of that before. I think one thing that they did really nicely throughout the course of this angle, the payoff, the actual match was great. But they realized that they were going too far with Jade talking too much and having some issues delivering the dialogue she was being asked to deliver. Bad dialogue, bad delivery. Um, And they wound that back and got back to, look at Jade Cargill. Isn't she really striking? Isn't she really different? Is and, and, and they got back to the fundamentals of what makes Jade Cargill money talent in terms of wrestling. And I think that that played out really nicely. And I think this match was really well booked. And now allow 14 year old Jeff Hawkins to enter the chat because Tully Blanchard and FTR against the Jurassic express. Oh my God, Chris. I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. I love everything about this. I love, love, love this match. I loved JJ Dillon coming out with them. I loved the black, the return of the Tully Blanchard black robe. I even loved the ridiculous homage because this is what this was. I had to school some youngins on this. The homage of Tully to JJ wearing the ridiculous jumpsuit top with the, with the collar on it. If you look at JJ when he was a manager and when he had to wrestle, he would wrestle in these types of things. And they just kind of modernized it a little bit. They gave Tully the... (laughs) Tully did not have to suffer the indignation of wearing trunks versus pants of some sort. This match, he goes in there. The working punches are still there. The chops and kicks are still there. The the tease of the tope dive, or the tease of the dive into the Tully strut. I died, and I went to heaven. And then I came back and I died and I went to heaven again. I laughed my ass off about this. He gets, he gets the spike on the, he gets the slingshot suplex on Marco's stunt. Not the pile driver we wanted necessarily, but I will take a good old fashioned slingshot suplex. And then he gets the spike on Luchasaurus on the double pile driver. And the thousand year old dinosaur puts over the young guy in Tully Blanchard. Uh, 12 stars and Tully Blanchard should never win another match ever again because he is a manager. FTR also came to shine and to shine Tully. They were great. I thought the Jurassic Express were very good in what they did. They didn't let uh, Jungle Boy do too much because this was going to be, uh, they're going to have to get revenge eventually in some way. And that's where where he'll shine right now. This is the bad guy's, get to take a fall a little bit. So they kind of protected jungle boy here. I adored this. I adored the post match. Sean Spears back in this Blanchard family. Arn coming out, given the salute, perhaps a sign of things to come because they may need a fourth. And I would not be shocked if Cody is at fourth, but yes, this filled me with young teenage Jeff Hawkins vibes sitting in his, basement watching wrestling on a Saturday afternoon and I could not be happier about it. Yeah. Uh, Tully Blanchard was uh, not unlike Shaq several notches above where I was expecting him to be at in terms of a celebrity performance. And this match 
and, and the Shaq match was so much fun that it did make me basically forget, and apparently Jeff as well, about the shitty inner circle press conference thing that happened. Still hate them. <laughs> they still suck. Uh, no, that, the dream does not remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, the dream, yeah, the dream does not remember that. No, it was crap. They suck. Um, but, uh, no, getting back to Tully and everything. Tully was great. Uh, he, he, he worked so well. It was almost too good. And... The problem in this match was you were rooting for Tully. At least I was. And I was trying to fig- figure out is that, well, I'm 34 and kind of rooted in the history of this. And so, like, I'm kind of rooting for Tully. And the Jurassic Express kind of misses me. Or would not the default position be you're rooting for the old man to go in there and kick some butt unless the old man sort of cheats really overtly and like that was like sort of my one knock is like if you want to tell her to stay heel i think he needed to cheat more because he's an old man he's inherently going to be sympathetic um even if he takes a couple of shortcuts it's going to still be kind of like well yeah but he's an old guy like you expect him to take a shortcut or two um so I i thought in a certain way Tully was a distraction in part because he was so good at what he was doing. Um, and that was a problem in this angle. Um, and there was a lot of stuff going on at the end. Uh, like, like just having Sean Spears come out, having Arn come out. Maybe I would have waited a week for Arn to come out. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have rushed. So I would have just let the Sean Spears thing uh, settle. Well, I think it was mostly because JJ is a one-off. I don't think JJ's coming back after this. Well, yeah, I figure that too, yeah. But I, I agree with you in theory. <laughs> But this is the one hole on the punch card where everybody gets to root for Tully, and now Tully can never win ever again, I think. I think it's gonna be, he's going to be the knucklehead, heel manager who's been out of the game too long. It was beginner's luck, and anything he tries to do after this will backfire. So I'm fine, because FTR will get their comeuppance eventually. So yeah, no, I, 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 I don't think it matters, and, and it's a, a go-home show, no. I, I, okay, my I guess my biggest concern in this... And I, I say concern, but I've got to be honest. I, my heart's just not in caring about the Jurassic Express. But if I was booking the Jurassic Express and I was concerned about getting these guys over, I worry that they're a little bit lost in the sauce in this FTR angle so far. And I don't know how much it's helping. I, I agree there. I do. Uh, yeah, as, as you alluded to, that Inner Circle press conference sucked. And not only did it suck, but the guy from Barstool Sports, who did the TakeOver pre-show from two His weeks ago. His microphone was off. And I, <laughs> the whole thing sucked. The Young Bucks promo with Jericho and MJF. Also, not yeah. what I call a go-home promo. A little bit too cutesy to me. A little bit I too much it, of the... It was beyond just a little too cutesy, right? Like, like the it was universe-shattering. On some level, like AEW is a universe and this, I, I certainly a hot comp online uh, that I see is, you know, comping dynamite to nitro. And this was one of the worst things that started to happen on nitro with some frequency. That was a very Russo move where it's like everything else on this show is fake. Everything else on this show is worked. But the thing that's real is pop a buck. And it helped us build this company, and we're really the vice presidents, and you really wouldn't have a job here, Max, if not for, you know, the stuff that our dad did to help us get this company. And, like, you know, it, it, all of it 
was the wrong tone. For, I agree. Also, the it, curtain it, jerking ripples, at the performance center thing. That just... Also bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. brings down Jericho. It, it, to your point, what does that say about Jericho? What does it say about AEW? You you guys brought in, uh, you know, a guy who's closer to 50 than he is to 40, um, who who does not look like at his physical peak at this point, and you pushed him to the moon and made him the first champion of the company. Yeah. Um... I'm I'm somewhat hyped for a revolution in terms of I want to see the street fight. I think that's the one match I really want to see out of all the things. We're not going to do a preview Oh, I want to see the Dean Ambrose secret machination, mousetrap, <laughs> elimination, double laser, <laughs> obliteration, decimation chamber. Can't wait. <laughs> yes, because they've treated... <laughs> Like, the Onita promo was great. I want to see Onita in that thing. I don't want to see Kenny in that thing. I want to see somebody who takes it seriously, as opposed to, meh. <laughs> can, can we have Omega and Seth Rollins do a cheesy villain-off, please? <laughs> Why can't God. they be a tag team? <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're starting to kind of converge as personalities. The go-away heat. Jeez uh, <laughs> Louise. Uh yeah, I had I had nothing else major on on AEW. Let, minus, let me see what else is on here. Is is cool, but uh God, I still get uncomfortable now with that kid being on every week. Yeah, you know, uh but it's not I worth like Max Caster. I he, he didn't bother me this week. I, I like Max Caster. I, I continue to see something <laughs> in Max Caster. His gimmick is twenty years old though. No, okay, the 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 rapper gimmick part of it, yeah. I just I'm just saying yeah. like, look wise. Um I, I some people AEW has brought in. I the curtain jerking at the performance center line just still fresh, I guess. Um, I do kind of feel maybe it would be curtain jerking at the performance center. Whereas I look at Caster and he does, he looks like uh, he looks like a wrestler to me. Um, and I, I think he he's got a lot going on there. The Dark Order as like a weird baby face faction is fun, and I am very into. I like Adam Page. I, like sometimes they've got Adam Page doing stupid stuff and it sucks. Uh, usually involving the vice presidents of the company, um, but Adam Page in this Dark Order thing—it's dumb as hell, but it's fun. And John Silver getting over is a lot of fun as well. Uh, I, I actually liked this Page and Silver tag team. I think they're interesting. I will answer a question you DM'd to me, uh, or a conversation we had. And just oh, in case Scorpio anybody else Sky. is confused. Yes. Scorpio Sky, baby face. He's a just, baby face. That yes. was that was baby face commentary? Yes. Because he, he kind of put over he, Well, he was burying Max Caster's rap. And yeah, but you know, he was the West Texas everybody. Rednecks were Yeah, that's also well, he's a confident baby face. I got the okay. I don't know. I don't know about that. I I felt like maybe we were starting to transition because he was really, he was very annoying all throughout the commentary on that. And I, my interpretation of it was we're slowly turning Scorpio Sky, and he's gonna win this ladder match, but in part by revealing his new attitude. But I guess we shall see. All right, Chris. I need you to get the rundown of Raw. 
doesn't oh, need to have like everything in it. I just need segment by segment what what was on there. Because this week's WWE kids, and this is a week where I hope my friends in the company are not listening, but they probably know. Started out with that great Drew. Well, it didn't start out with the Drew Sheamus match. The promo leading to it wasn't very good, but the Drew Sheamus match was quite good for a Hoss match in WWE. And then sandwiched with the Daniel Bryan Uso cage match, which was quite good, I thought. There was nothing redeemable in between these two things for the entire week. And I almost include all of NXT and most of NXT UK in that, with the exception that I really enjoyed the Mako Satamura kaylee Ray match. But the booking made no sense to me. No, but yeah, we, we'll get we'll get into we'll get into NXT UK. But uh, I want to deconstruct this Raw show because it to me was an all time bad Raw show, where nobody was being helped and nobody was getting over. Do we have the list of the segments? So yeah, we have. Okay, so okay, we so have we have the Drew McIntyre. It's been uh, a B of a month for me, and the Miz's champion. Wow, wow, wow. This was this was crap chance. because he didn't really get angry. He got exposition angry. And then they had the match, and the match was pretty good. So okay, yeah, I'll that's take that. the real problem. The real problem, though, is the promo did not sell the match. The match was great, um, and I feel bad for Drew McIntyre and Sheamus because it felt like this was supposed to get better placement than just kind of an opening match on Raw. Like this is a months long angle, and it got kind of blown off along the road to WrestleMania, not even at Fastlane. Um, but yeah, no, I, I hate these promos because it, it is. It's like bad Shakespearean acting like, wow, guys, can you believe the things that I have been through in the last several weeks? The betrayals, the heartbreaks, the friendships, <laughs> the great victories. And you, you out there on the Zoom screens, you have been there with me this whole time cheering me on. I hear you in the crowds, perfectly equalized and compressed. Um, moving on next, we get... Nia Jax, one of my favorite wrestlers, and she defeats Naomi, who was accompanied by Lana in two minutes and 19 seconds. Two minutes and 19 seconds, and these are your number one contenders to the tag team match, and this is the one who people actually like. This was a waste of a segment. I don't understand this. Somewhere in here, we had a Miz promo where he started having stomach cramps, which... Well, we haven't gotten to that yet. We have. Oh, we haven't uh, yet. Okay. No, Do you no, have no, this yeah. on your rundown? You have this yeah, on your rundown. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay, going. I'm, yeah. No, no. I'm next going. segment. Next segment. We have WWE Championship match number one: The Miz accompanied by John Morrison, with Bobby Lashley accompanied by MVP. The match doesn't happen because The Miz is having stomach cramps. He's uh, they're very vicious stomach cramps, and then we get told that there's a clock coming on, and that his title will have to be defended at 10 p.m. Okay, here we go. Number one, there is nothing wrong with a champion taking a powder for a count-out loss. I don't uh, mind that. We actually haven't gotten but, to the count-out loss yet. Oh, we haven't? Okay, this is... Oh, there, wow. There okay, were, I was this was, this is a tripartite story where first okay. he had the cramps, then he gets counted out, then he loses The stomach title. cramps are ridiculous because if you watch, if you watch his Sir, physicality, serious. it's not... That's not the stomach he's at. Those are menstrual cramps he's having. 
And he should have just done the ridiculous heel thing of, if you remember the Simpsons episode where the where Bart cried wolf too much and they had the pop quiz and he goes, oh, my ovaries. He should have just done that gag and I would have respected him a lot more. This entire show revolving around Miz's cowardice has also destroyed Miz. I hate to say this, but where are you going to put him in here where anybody has any kind of respect or anything for what he's going to do in or out of the ring? He didn't have any false bravado. He had no championship swagger to him. He was a bitch the entire night. And Morrison Next. didn't even really do a whole lot for him. Yeah. yeah Next segment. Next segment, Braun Strowman comes out and he <laughs> starts interacting with Shane McMahon and Adam Pierce. Uh, at Shane McMahon says that Braun Strowman needs to have a tag team title match uh, against uh, who the tag team champions are. It, this this is a surprise to me. Did you know it was the Hurt Business? That was exciting for me to find out. Um, and he says that Braun Strowman needs to have a match against the Hurt Business and Adam Pierce is his tag team partner. And then, like, uh, a skitlet match ensues wherein Braun Strowman's on the verge of beating the tag team champions by himself, effectively. And then Shane McMahon's like, no, no, tag in Adam Pierce, and then Adam Pierce gets rolled up and pinned. All right, let's... <laughs> Let's break this down. Your tag team champions look stupid because Braun's killing them. You have the dumb Shane and Adam Pierce theatrics where he's obviously holding out his hand to get the tag. But if Braun Strowman doesn't want a partner and doesn't want Shane McMahon involved, why is he listening to Shane McMahon to then tag in Adam Pierce, who he was afraid was going to screw things up in the first place? And then the only guy in here I had any, any, any kind of happiness for was Adam Pierce because he actually gets in the ring and, and, and does what he should be doing, and that's being a knucklehead and getting, getting cradled. I was fine with Adam, with him getting cradled, but this entire segment helped absolutely nobody. And it just, it, it just makes this dumb, this brawn. Shane feud has no real basis to it other than to get Shane on television again. It, yeah, no, Shane's stupid. character sucks and it's just cannibalizing if there's any if there's any freshness left on Braun Strowman, I think it's pretty much gone at this point. Um it, it Braun just be like, oh, I'm very angry. This sucks. I don't like this. This sucks. <laughs> Uh, you know, which is now my general reaction to most Braun Strowman segments. So at least we're getting that right. Next, Next. we get Damian Priest with your 24-7 <laughs> champion, Bad Bunny. And Damian Priest defeats Elias after 15 minutes. 15 with, with Jackson minutes. Riker, by the way, with Jackson Riker. And with his side. Jackson Riker. Yeah. But accompanied by Jackson Riker. How could I forget? The drifter Elias Sampson goes up against the archer of infamy, Damian Priest, for who has the worst gimmick uh, for what would otherwise be an okay talent. Uh, the answer Chris, is actually, go ahead. Uh, Damian Priest was getting over. Just not being in there that long, being an ass kicker, having Bad Bunny by his side. 
being friends, being cool. And you know what, Chris? They found out that the kids love them some bad buddy. So you know what we need to do? We need to have him out there for 15 minutes shaking his head. Oh, my God. Oh, I can't believe my buddy's getting his butt kicked by the drifter. And then, I, I mean, and that's <laughs> what you actually kind of nailed this, right? Like, why is this match so agonizingly long? It's so that you can get the Bad Bunny react shots. It's just that. Look, Bad Bunny was on her television and it got social engagement. You're cannibalizing Damian Priest uh, in order to do this. And if you want to have Damian Priest have a competitive, even working from underneath match with Bad Bunny accompanying him, I have no problem with that. You now have a person, Bobby Lashley, who would be perfect to have Damian Priest do a one-off main event angle. You you have Bad Bunny getting a ton of TV time in the third hour that's usually a little bit down in ratings anyways. Um, and it would be better than some of these clunker main events that they've been putting up recently any as well. Uh, it makes a lot more sense to have Priest going 15 minutes against Bobby Lashley than it does against Elias, a guy who's never been presented as a serious talent at any point. He had to work from underneath against Elias for most of the that drifter match. Elias Sampson, my friend. That's how you build a star on the heat. You just have him in there. For a long time, working a long match when he's only been doing short matches, not being an ass kicker, and just having his celebrity friend just shaking his head back and forth. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Can't believe this. Oh, no. (laughs) Next. Next, we get a Randy Orton segment. And I got to tell you, I am here for this Randy Orton angle. I have embraced The Fiend. I think The Fiend is one of the the greatest wrestling angles that has happened in the last decade. Uh, they're never going to get it right, and that's what makes it so wrong, and thus so right. Uh, Randy Orton has the, the black cancer stuff inside him, or the black goo thing still happening inside of him. And then... He sees himself on the TV, Jeff, and evil Randy on the TV issues normal Randy a warning and then laughs maniacally. I I think Randy Orton needs to be getting serious consideration for Golden Globes, for Emmys when those come up, for Best Dramatic Performance. Uh, I think, obviously, Wrestle of the Year, it's still a little bit early, but I think he's an early shoe-in, obviously. And this gets feud of the year for me. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Chris, a much bigger geek thing as a comic book fan, as a DC Universe fan, we have a multiverse in WWE now, Chris. We have, we had Earth 1 Randy meet Earth 3 Randy, where Earth 3 Randy is actually evil, but Earth 1 Randy is kind of good. 
Earth 2 Randy is fighting World War 2 against Perdegaton the entire time with the All-Star Squadron. But Earth 1 Randy is here. Earth 3 is where you're the opposite of other people, so all the bad guys are good guys and all the good guys are bad guys. We might have Earth 3 Alexa Bliss doing this while Earth 1 Alexa Bliss is somewhere in limbo, somewhere that we don't know anything about. And then we can have a crisis on Infinite Earths where we put all these Earths together and we have two Randy Ortons in canon, Chris. We have two... Uh, can they can they book a match against the two of them? That's the cinematic match I want this year, Chris. I want Randy Orton versus Randy Orton. Can we get that? Because because not only that, you the can intros, on the video games. So I don't understand why you couldn't get that in real life. The intros alone are going to be forty five minutes as they walk down to the ring, and then and then you have to do like you have to do the Randy entrance. And then you have to do the Earth 3 Randy entrance, which is the exact opposite. So, like, instead of having, like, a snake rolling down the ramp, you have a snake backing its way. <laughs> this is the whole reason, though, Jeff, if you really think about it, this is the whole reason why, for the last, I would say, half decade, you've had performers like Matt Hardy and others pioneering the cinematic form of wrestling matches. So that ultimately Randy Orton could have a match against himself. That to me is the real, dare we say, apex. The cinematic apex of what... He's a cinematic apex predator now. Yeah, of what movie-style matches can be. Randy Orton RKOing himself for the finish. Chris, we had 10-plus years of soap opera writers running WWE. And after they leave, we get the evil twins and demonic possessions of mid-90s days of our lives. What the hell has happened It it was so much better when it was largely contained to The Undertaker back in the 90s. Granted, like, when The Brood showed up, necessarily, in order to make a character like Gangrel work, you have to have, like, the dark and spooky stuff going on. But... It, it was much better when you had Undertaker, and it was very clear that like stuff like that would happen on Undertaker Island. And The Fiend is a pale imitation of that, and what can happen in The Fiend universe is just so... Uh, it's so bizarre and jarring. And like to that point, when they get done with this segment, it gets tossed back, and Tom... <laughs> And Back Joe guys. have absolutely no idea what to say. And so Byron goes, I, I don't know. I, you know, this is Monday at this point, but Byron says something like, I don't know how Randy Orton deals with this. Like it's something like completely <laughs> nonsensical. Cause there is no normal way to process or react to this. It's a completely unrelatable segment and it's not even cool like i don't care about evil randy orton because randy orton's never been particularly good you mean beth phoenix right randy orton's come face to face with his with his true inner self and his subconscious and his mind as he did through the tv through alexa bliss <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous i want earth three vince the vince that likes wrestling and the fans 
and is actually friendly and is a beloved figure. I want that. He, like, <laughs> Can spends he hours a day trying to, like, book out this universe and has, like, a really organized whiteboard where he's like, I've been playing around with the characters and I've got a really interesting idea. It's a multi-month arc. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> like, and loves studi- his children. Studiously and- <laughs> avoids swearing and uses, like, all the safety words instead, like Dagnavit and stuff. <laughs> Uh, next uh next we have bobby lashley defeating the miz accompanied by john morrison via countout the miz retains the championship in 29 seconds if you're going (laughs) i yeah i didn't have that much of a problem with this other than the fact that he ran like a coward as opposed to pointed to his head like oh look i'm an evil genius who plots these types of things and plan for this to outsmart you. And I just, and, and my problem again here is not using Morrison too. Like what yeah. is the point of having Morrison? If Morrison can't really facilitate anything in any of this. And then, you know, I get that Bobby Lashley's upset, but in WWE canon, this makes him the number one contender. I don't see why he's, Ah, but anyway, next. Ugh, I gotta get my hands on the Miz. It, it's it's very strange. Yeah, uh, and the Miz is running around grabbing his ovaries. <laughs> saying, That's not the stomach. He was down by the crotch area. I was like, how do you eat your food if you're having stomach? It, it could be a groinal thing. Uh, anyways, <laughs> next we have Charlotte Flair. She comes out, and Charlotte wants to get just whatever... Someone is asked to really deliver it on the microphone, to take an angle that's maybe on shaky (laughs) ground, not quite on what we call in Latin terra firma. Uh, Charlotte Flair, time and again, has proven that she's the wrong person to take that task on. And yet again, Charlotte Flair comes out here and delivers this promo with all of the passion of the understudy in a high school musical. <laughs> hey, Asuka doesn't have an opponent for WrestleMania. I would like to be that opponent for WrestleMania. And then the balls, the pure balls of this commentary team to talk about, well, Charlotte, scrappy underdog, has always found a way to overcome the odds. And I go, What? In what effing world has Charlotte ever, ever been an underdog in any program she's been in? There's no such thing. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you an example here, pal. How about uh, the people who beat her and Asuka for the tag team titles? Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, who are coming out next. And Shayna Baszler gets on the microphone and tries to keep any modest amount of face that she might have and then (laughs) proceeds to have yet another stinker of a match with Charlotte Flair. Like these two just suck together. I I don't, it's like Shayna's striking and everything works really well with other people, but with Charlotte, Charlotte does not want to sell it in a way that is convincing. And when Shayna's laying in, her heat that's supposed to be like overdog heat because Charlotte's so big, it comes off like Shayna's the underdog regardless. Uh, it, it just does not click with these two. 
Um, and then two Charlotte- minutes and nine seconds, two minutes and nine seconds with half of the tag team champions. Are you kidding me? Wow. Wow. It yeah. was, I think it was 209. It was either 209 or 215. I'm not going to look it up because I'm just so yeah, angry it's, about it's that. Not, it's, not, it's not worth it. Um, uh, next. Next. You know, next. Here's what's got me salty here. Uh, you know, you, you've got your points. You've got the things that you you got on your mind out of this show. Uh, once again, Slapjack <laughs> trying to lead it. <laughs> <laughs> trying to lead the team to victory here. Um, and, and, and let us not forget. So he, first the Lucha house party and Matt Riddle defeat retribution in two minutes and 19 seconds due to a, like uh, just a miscommunication, an honest mistake that, that could happen to anyone um, resulting in maybe slapjack getting pinned. Um, but after that, Ali gets on the microphone. He says that he could do it better. Right. Um, and he does win his match, but after Slapjack saves the day yet again, uh, and coordinates a wonderful this is the first Retribution has never hummed with this type of synchronous energy. Mr. Jack just really shined here in this moment, but it only got five minutes combined. And then the solo match between Ollie and Riddle. <laughs> then oh, that's, Ollie... what I, that's what yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The Mr. Yeah, Jack and then, comes in. Uh, yeah, he and saves then the Ollie... day. And then he berates his team and this everything the Lucha House Party had no point to it. Matt Riddle's a geek of a champion and this retribution crew are gonna turn on Ali and then they're gonna be go nowhere. I, I, I just I mean it's you know, on, on one hand it'll be good when Slapjack finally takes control of this faction. On the other hand, it feels like Retribution's kinda lost the thread when they're willing to come out and work for Shane McMahon as lumberjacks later on in the show. <laughs> God, yes. I was going to bring that up. But yeah, look, look, if Slapjack takes over this faction and stops the crappy camera work from the, from their entrance, where it's just like. I, Jeff, I, the crappy camera work is what we call systemic because uh, it, it just infects every single beat on every oh, single God. show, it feels like. Next. Camera, next. Uh, it, we have. Bobby Lashley finally defeating the Miz to win the championship <laughs> in three minutes. <laughs> All right. Let me break this down because nothing was good about this because it didn't help anybody. I know people are celebrating Bobby Lashley's title win. Look, if Miz is going to be the sneaky heel, just punch the referee in the balls and get the DQ, and I could accept the screw job after being hyped all night with a clock. I could accept that as crappy booking, but I understand the angle. This, Miz looks t- terrible, but I thought he should have got beat on, but then they did it far more than I thought they would, but they never they never made you feel sorry for Miz. <clears throat> it's not the Hurt Business who decides that they're going to take it into their own hands to surround the ring and keep Miz from running? Who's the, who's the deus ex machina here? It's Shane. Shane McMahon. Right, which makes sense in this Shane and Miz have a years-long feud thing going out. They didn't bring out. that up, though. No, and Shane's also working effectively as a heel when you go back yes. earlier in the show against Braun Strowman. So, like, when yes. Shane comes out here later on, he's like, oh, I'm going to help out Bobby Lashley. And I'm e- even if you go, okay, it's heel on heel, Chris. Yeah, sure. But, like, the cosmic justice, right, is that Bobby Lashley, the big strong guy who was promised a title shot, 
should have his title shot against the twerpy dude who's trying to duck the title shot. And if everything was equal, if the scales were equal, Bobby Lashley would win that match. That's what the cosmic justice says. And Shane steps in as the deus ex machina to facilitate cosmic justice, which is a babyface move. And it's uncalled for. It's inconsistent. Um, yeah, no, I have real, real problems with the way this show was booked. I, I, I love Bobby Lashley. I think no one has been more consistently tanking for Bobby Lashley in his broadcast career than me, at least on this network. No one's done it longer because I've been doing it since, uh, I was going to call the old show Retribution, uh, but it's called Stipulation. I've been doing it since he was in TNA back in 2013. I think he's fantastic. What he is, he's great at. What he's not, we know what it is. And once he found MVP as a working partner, he shored up all the gaps. He's a main event level talent. I've known it for years. I'm thrilled to death that he's the champion. This was not the best of all possible ways to get this guy over. And there's just a lot of inconsistent missteps. I think in wrestling, you never do something in one week that you could do in two. So if you're going to have Miz be a weasel, and we still have weeks to go before we're getting to WrestleMania, I would have ended this Raw with a lumberjack match. Okay, fine. We ended with the lumberjack match. Johnny Morrison sets up like a, an, a not a grappling hook, but like a rope and gives a rope for Miz to get out of the ring and essentially escape and they run out of time on Raw. And so it's like tune in next week to see what happens yes. with the Miz and the fallout and everything. But Miz should have gotten out of this situation. The chase should have continued because we really only introduced the chase this week. Yes. I agree, and you should have given Miz the credibility of being a heel who's going to be a weasel, but he's going to be that crafty weasel. A resourceful you know. weasel. Yes, and instead, they made him, there, there's no, I think, I think Miz as a character is dead. I got to be honest with you, this was just terrible, like, put over the Hurt Business as a competent faction if you're going to do this, if you're going to do this on, on the week, I love your idea, by the way. That, that My idea, too. You, you do the chase for a few weeks, and then you pay it off. But if you're going to do this, the Hurt Business should take out Morrison. They should surround the ring so that Miz can't escape. And then Bobby Lashley just goes through him. No Shane, no retribution at ringside as Lumberjacks and all these other goobers that were there as lumberjacks just give the the hurt business the focus and make them say they are the alpha dogs of raw right now and i would have been fine with that yeah here here's another part of this why not have alexander and shelton benjamin and the actual hurt business be more of a part of kind of lashley getting the title here like, yeah. like ma- making it a little more through. So, you know, I, I just, I would have dragged this out a little bit further. Um, I, I mean, I, I would have even had Morrison get, you know, the a leg up on maybe Alexander or maybe on Shelton Benjamin. Maybe have Cedric Alexander leave Shelton Benjamin high and dry, and that's how Morrison's able to get a leg up. I just, would, I would have had a little more tit for tat going on here, and I would have stretched this out because 
I think your concern about Miss, and this is not a character I care like intensely about, but when you put the title on Miz, if you take the title off of him too quick, you have he's you know been protected better than this, but it's a Sandow type of issue. And to go back to Damian Sandow from years ago, once you had Sandow lose to Cena, there was nowhere for that character to go. Yeah, and that's what they're going to face here. Because yes. even as a mid-card guy, why would you invest in a mid-card guy if he can't move up any? And it's never going to happen for him. I People aren't... <laughs> the beloved Miz fans out there don't exist. I'm sorry to say. So, yeah, I... Uh, I just wanted to thoroughly deconstruct that Raw because after those three hours, I almost quit watching wrestling in general. So let's do some quick hits on the other three shows. Let's start with SmackDown real quick. Again, Apollo Crews is now <laughs> it's now a warlord who runs a junta in addition to being a Nigerian prince. So we're going with all the stereotypes there. It's horrible. Like they took an angle that was bad. They heard feedback with regards to that angle. They incorporated some of that feedback into the angle to make the angle worse. So Apollo Crews makes a point to bring up the change in his voice, the rather sudden and dramatic and, shall we say, very inconsistent change in his voice, and make sure to hit home that this is in fact his true voice, and then proceeds to go through the rest of the promo inconsistently staying in that accent of his. Uh, he's now bringing out a spear. Uh, he has, like, a scarf thing and a new armband and uh, paramilitary dudes that accompany him. It's really, really bad. Uh, oh, and then he also brought up Big E as kind of like a colonizer or like a colonialist or something like that. <laughs> I, I, it was just, you took something that was bad last week and you go, well, that was ill-advised. Maybe they'll memory hold this. Because they do that from let's time to time. Let's heighten it. No, let's, no, let's, let's double let's down Let's ramp it. this bad boy up. This is, oh, Ric Flair having a kid at age 72 is upsetting. Let's make it twins. Let's delve into racial issues because we're so good at that. Yes. Yeah, no, no, no one, I think, does a better job at exploring race than Vince McMahon. And, you, know, you know that and, Vince McMahon has a picture of Martin Luther King Jr., so that means he can do problematic racial angles? Oh, my goodness. Uh, then we so get the King Corbin going up against Montez Ford here. Uh, I have nothing to say other than this Sammy Corbin feud is dreadful, and I'm tired of it, so... Yeah, no, it's uh, stupid. Who like I guess I guess Sammy's a face. I I think Sammy and Corbin are going to quote unquote work it out, but I I, I this is stupid. I I don't care. Um, Chris, let's talk about something that's more near and dear to our hearts: the entire women's feuds between the tag team championships between Bianca and Sasha and Carmella. Reginald is now the central figure in all these feuds, and it's ridiculous. Dare it's, I say, probably one of the best women's wrestlers in the company. It's Reginald. Right, he's he's amazing. All the angles are going through him. Uh, yeah, no, I think Reginald's just been killing it. It's uh, not no, I, it's, Bianca and and, and no, Sasha he, feel he like a big feud. He is an active hindrance for every single thing he has touched. 
Um, I and I don't really see a way out. Like, like it, it's a killer gimmick, and by killer I mean like it's a bad gimmick. Um, you're introduced as the wine gooper. Um, you get fired by Carmella for good reason. Um, like when Carmella calls you a snake, you are a snake. You're now trying to go after Sasha Banks, who's a heel, and you're a heel. No, Sasha's a baby face. Is she a baby face? Is she? She's a baby face who's slightly heelish because Bianca's supposed to be a big baby face. Bianca's Bianca's acting like a jerk. Uh, Yeah, I guess I just read Bianca as the de facto baby face in this angle. But like, she's confident she's not a heel. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Because I, I don't know. Oh, Anyways. she will be eventually. Because yeah, right, yeah. I, we're on the road to WrestleMania here, Jeff. Um, oh. But then we have we have Sammy Malia trying to come out and hang out with Beyond, or uh, with Sasha, and that doesn't work. And he serves as this catalyst for stirring the pot between Bianca and Sasha. Um, no, everything he touches, he ruins. The wine gimmick was stupid. It only makes any sense at all in the context of Carmella. So now it leaves Reginald, which is a stupid wrestling name, um, with nowhere to go. Um, I don't know how you're going to rebrand this guy because he's got a very distinctive look. So he's going to have to like dramatically alter his appearance or something because you've now you've labeled him with this goofy Reginald thing. It's, it's, it's something that d- does not but- wash off. But Chris, he's found love potentially. That's not that's not a thing. Um, it, 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 in in the real world or in wrestling. Oh, him and, it, 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 him it and Nia exist. are gonna. I'm telling you right now, him and Nia, at this tag team match at Fastlane, I am convinced that Reginald is gonna turn on Sasha and Bianca to try and help Nia win because they're gonna be smitten with each other. And then for some reason, it's going to turn out that Reginald really has a crush on Shayna because it's going to be a rib on Shayna. And it's just. No, it, it's he's horrible. Um, it, he, He's another guy burdened with a stupid accent gimmick. Um, he like, look, he's not untalented. He's a, like an ex Cirque du Soleil performer. I'm sure he could be trained to do the WWE style or do something kind of like a cruiserweight style for them. He'd probably be just fine on a tag team doing tandem moves too. Uh, it seems like, you know, his background and stuff suggests that maybe he'd be really good at that. Uh, th- this is horrible. I don't see how he gets out of it. Um, I think you're, you're right that he's going to end up getting saddled with, uh, Nia Jax. Uh, but that's also just a gimmick uh, and, and a horrible one at that. And like it, once, once he gets saddled into that, Vince is going to like that gimmick, but he's going to like it with, like, Nia, you know, beating up on the smaller Reginald. Uh, he's going to love the visuals. Yep. yep. And then he's going to love the swerve of having Shayna have to have a straight romance. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's going to be one of those types of things, I think. No, Reginald I, I has know. turned into a rib on this whole division and all uh-huh. these perf- performers in it and We're building it, up it, the women by putting Reginald in there. It, nice in this job, sense, WWE. it's really gross. Um, you know, to kind of bookend my opening comment about how he's like the, you know, the top women performer in, in the division. Like, no, I, I mean, you've, you've set up this stupid, stupid character. Um, and it, now every plot sort of necessarily has him linked through it, except for Charlotte Flair. Uh, okay. <laughs> not Charlotte. She's too good for that. Uh, next we have 
Oh, go ahead. No, I, you know what? I, I, there's nothing else on SmackDown other than, you know, the Daniel Bryan Uso match was great. I liked it. Let's yeah. Let's just move on to other things, I guess, and get get done because we spent so much time on that raw that my mouth is just has a bad taste in it. Uh, NXT UK. Um, NXT UK. Uh, I liked the Sam Gradwell and Ilya Dragunov match. I uh, like. I actually liked the head game stuff that Gradwell was doing with Ilya. Yeah, I, I was fine with this. It, it was, I thought it was it was, it nice. was sufficiently stiff. I I just I think it's a it's a nice little tough match. Grad, and Gradwell still doesn't do that much for me, but I understand the angle that they're building here with Ilya, and I kind of like it. So he's yeah. grown on me. I think his physical like his uh appearance and everything is, is good uh i like it's it's growing on me i and i like him getting into the skin um then we had tyler Bate and noam dar and tyler Bate, this zen master thing they he didn't really think this crap out at all before he started doing it did he it's just like i i own this no was annoying and tyler Bate wasn't giving him much and it, uh, just it, was... it is like tyler Bate recently rewatched phantom menace and or attack of the clones it was like i've got stuff like that that kind of makes me look a little bit like obi-wan kenobi did in those movies and i could kind of talk a little hippy dippy do like that but like uh, just nothing nothing and like i don't care about this need to be workshopped i'm angry about this because this should never made air without them going okay let's talk about this for a while okay what is your character what's his motivation How's he going to deliver these promos? Why is he doing this? This was why level is Dar one... doing any of this? Yeah, yeah like this is level one sketch comedy where it's like, okay, let's just go up and try something and see if it works. Yes, I have a bad. character. You have a character. Let's just go up and do something. But yeah, like getting into the vegan stuff, Dar dropping the salad on bait and then bait eating the salad and the the piece of broccoli and stuff. No, the, the whole thing sucked. Um, next we have Ben Carter. Um, and I, I, I actually think that this, these are usually done so quickly that it doesn't really matter, but I thought Ben Carter came off as kind of stupid in this promo. Just like, you know, I, I've been in America for so long. I've never actually learned the English wrestling style. Okay, dude. Cool. Uh, that's neat. Um, next we get Aaliyah James. Uh, we're going to start kind of getting her over a little later on. Um, did we miss? Uh, did we miss the uh, Zaya Brookside thing? Because I thought Aaliyah came after that. Th- this thing. Uh, oh yeah, she was well, in okay. that. Yeah. So and Aaliyah was also in that. Um, there was a. That was fine. I liked yeah. that actually. Yeah, that I liked. Fine. I like. I like. You know, <laughs> of course, Nina Samuels is gonna have every. She's gonna try and do bad things and have it be foiled every time, and that's gonna be the yucks. It's 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 perfectly fine. It's I fine. like it. It's totally fine. Um, Isla Dawn. Uh, teasing <laughs> teasing more darkness and stuff. I feel like she has teased a turn multiple times or has even half turned before. Yes. Um and I like I guess I guess we're turning her to go up against Kaylee Ray. I, I don't don't really know who the high If this is. had been built up early in her career, it would have been fine. But she's been in this NXT UK for two years now. It's time yeah, to, there's know. that, and the other thing is this gimmick has been totally stolen by the Smoke Show over on NXT US. Uh huh. Yeah. So the old fallen prey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Old fallen prey. Uh, <laughs> That's what I call her. I don't call her Scarlet. I go oh, fallen prey's here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next we get 
Kenny Williams and Amir Jordan. What I, I mean, when you look back on 2010 to 2020 and your kids <laughs> ask you, like, what were some of the hot angles from back in that era? Jeff would talk to you about the 80s. You talked about, like, Tully and the Horsemen. You know, Sting would be involved in a lot of those angles. I would tell you about Kenny Williams and Amir Jordan, an angle that went on in this company longer than 90% of angles. This has been going on since 2019. Kenny Williams, at some point in 2023, will turn on Amir Jordan, and it's going to be epic. And we'll forget it the next week because he'll retcon it or something. Oh, if you could, Chris, if you could book a match between NXT UK talents that I could give less of a crap about. Oh, yeah, they're up against Whoop Guy and Lo-Fi and Kingston. Oh, Lo-Fi Kingston. I like that name, too. <laughs> you should call him Lofi Kingston. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's spelled like Lofi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Lo-Fi Kingston and, yeah. who have matching gear. Whoop Guy and Bootleg Kofi got matching gear for this match. To then face uh, and, matching and, and, gear, it is Amir. horrible. It is it is horrible <laughs> looking gear. Like Ashton Smith is dressed up like Nickelodeon from the early <laughs> 1990s with this orange and green color scheme, and it says Smith down his back, and he's in like a onesie like wrestler unitard thing, and. Because of Smith's dimensions, it does not make him look bigger. It makes him no. look weird. It makes him look yes. small. Oh, my goodness. This this gear was dreadful. Whoop. Match itself. He did not whoop during this he match. He did not whoop. What is, I, like, what is the point of whoop guy if he's not even going to whoop? I liked their attempted finisher, but, you know, the tag match was what it was. Oh, my God. Amir and can he get a win? Who cares? Who oh, no. Here's cares? my favorite part about this ending, though. So at the end of the match, quote unquote, they cheat because Kenny Williams from outside of the ring breaks up a pinfall, allowing Amir Jordan to reverse the pinfall. Like there is no uh, Kenny Williams providing illegal outside leverage. There's no actual rule breaking here. Uh, Kenny Williams does a completely normal move within the context of a tag team match that would be legal if a babyface did it. And they act like this is the devious turn. Whoop. Let's talk about let's talk about the good stuff, the main event here. Mako and Kaylee Ray. I liked the presentation of this match. I loved how they put over Mako. As she walked to the ring, as she did her thing, first third of this match was a little rough because it would be it. It was like it's the stuff that I don't like in wrestling, where it's like Mako's running full speed, and then in order to do the choreography, she has to slow down so Kaylee Ray can go under the arm, over the head, do the bulldog off the second rope type of thing. But the go home part of this match, freaking awesome. Between, yeah, I like that, I like that you broke it into thirds. I think that's right. That that first they they had the WWE ness in the beginning of the match, um, and then everything after we got past that little first part, um, everything up to Kaylee Ray going off the top rope after her leg was damaged. Um, I yeah, I, I, I thought that that was too much, um, but. Everything up to that I thought was awesome. It's just like 
I think once Mako had sufficiently broken down Kaylee Ray on the leg thing, Kaylee Ray misses that big top rope senton, you either have to go home really quickly thereafter or you have to have Mako win. And I, I'm not saying Mako needed to win here. Uh, I, I just – I think that they went – it was a little too much. It was a little too much. I think Mako needed to win here, and I'll okay. tell you why. All right. Because – this was week two of Mako Senna on UK TV, and she's doing the title match. Yeah, and she's and she's the big baddie. She's the final boss. I don't. If you're not gonna have, I mean, if you're doing this, as I might suspect, because you're gonna fly Mako over to the states for either takeover or probably takeover. She might be Io Shirai's opponent at this point. Okay. Okay. No, but, I, I, I'm with you, though. Or I even think Kaylee Ray. You, you mean, have to have Mako go over pretty strong. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of, like, is there a way to really rehab her? Because I don't really, – well, re, rehabbing yeah. her is not a problem because she always has – she has that Asuka aura where she's just been put over so strong as a badass that she's going to come out as a badass every time and because of her work style. But she's man, just going to crush What would have made her – is bopping off Kaylee Ray, who has this super, yes. super long run, and bopping off Kaylee Ray in short and decisive fashion. Like, I wouldn't just have ended Kaylee Ray's streak. I would have had Kaylee Ray, like, losing a Cena versus Brock style blowout. Yes. I think that would have been awesome because then you do the Kaylee build back up story where she has doubt because you've already turned her baby face, kind of. So now, now she has to go, okay, I used to cheat. Now I have to build myself back up to be as good as someone who is this badass, who can beat me straight up one-on-one. And meanwhile, Mako's killing Ginny and Piper Niven and breaking Isla Dawn into quarters and getting rid of her and Ayo Valkyrie or whatever her name is and (laughs) just killing fools left and right as Kaylee Ray continues her comeback. Yeah, I just, I don't know what you do with Mako here to make her compelling because she was already compelling coming in and now you kind of had a, she has to take a step back and I'm afraid they're going to do immediate rematch and I don't want that either. No, and if you're going to do immediate rematch, the only reason I would do that is to have Mako go over. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. Let's end with uh, NXT regular... Just a dreadful show for the most part for me. This was solidifying it as Yellow Rope's main roster crap with these skits and and every. I mean, I didn't mind the payoff to the the Gargano skit because I thought it was quite well done. But all through the show, can't we spread this out four weeks and do this as opposed to all of this, the Cameron Grimes stuff has now become, uh, we're now going to have to wait for the million dollar man to show up and do the payoff to this. Let's get to the one thing I, I liked, but I hated the booking overall women's tag match. Dakota Kai is friggin' awesome. Dakota I, Kai. D- Dakota Kai made Nia Jax look good. Dakota Kai from the moment she came out and she was looking pensive was selling the story of this match. And it was quite good in terms of facing her former demon in Shayna 
and standing up and finally getting one up on her uh, in the course of the match. I think she probably should have gone a little bit more cocksure and heelish here because they are still heels in the NXT universe, but I, I get why they didn't. She's awesome. She's a ragdoll. Most of all, she deserved to win these titles. Well, and that's just interesting. It seems like they're starting up kind of a longer form angle and maybe kind of turning Dakota and Raquel because of the politics at the end of this. I think so. I think because they want Raquel to be a babyface. And Raquel, that dropkick, quite impressive, I thought. Uh, and working with, and of course, they got the stare down spot with Nia that they wanted and, and the visual of that. But Chris, then we get the Adam Pierce involvement. And the raw referee who just happens to be there. And Dakota Kai's out, but she's not the legal person. And they call off the match because the referee took a bump. And my God, Chris, I think this is leading up to NXT women's tag team titles. And that is the wrong move. They don't like, have enough of a division to do this. I like, like the novelty. that or like a brand feud thing. And it gets back to like the weird, confused power structure thing. Like, Adam Pierce has been presented on WWE television as like the voice of reason type of character. And there is absolutely no reasonable reason for lack of a better term or justification for why what happened during this match was an acceptable outcome. Um, the wrong person was pinned or I'm sorry, was defeated like the, it was not the legal person in the match and and Adam Pierce would know that and that referee was wrong and it was a blown call and it just seems weird that Regal and Pierce would be arguing that point out um not weird like I can't believe this is happening in wrestling television but like I don't actually understand what would be the narrative reason that Pierce would be hiding behind here I just hope they're not making him a heel in NXT but a babyface everywhere else that would be dreadful um I look, be on the lookout for heel authority figures to maybe be making yeah. a rise here as we are cruising into WrestleMania season. Well, there's a, need, there's a rumor that this We need to make it more feud... compelling. People, whenever ratings are down, what is the answer? <laughs> McMahon's on television. Yeah, and the Shane Adam Pierce thing might be a feud in the making, too. So. Oh, thank and thank God for that. Uh, I, yeah. Who, I, I, who hasn't been clamoring for Adam Pierce versus Shane McMahon? That said, back to my original point best novelty about the women's tag belts are they can be defended on NXT in addition to the main roster. I love that. I want an NXT women's tag team to win these titles and then get some shine on the main roster before actually being called up to the main roster. I think that would be awesome. And if they're going to if they're going to make NXT women's tag titles, this is not a deep enough division to 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 warrant that chris it's just not and then it and then it also hamstrings just the regular women's tag team titles well, you say, you between say that, but reginald could get a tag team partner oh yeah it, him and lana or him and naomi yeah, you see, or him and billy k yeah billy k can be reginald's partner yeah. and go after these tag titles which they never build up competent programs for see the riot squad I just, it's, it's such a boneheaded idea and it reeks of Vince McMahon saying, I don't want NXT cross pollinating on my product. I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that we're going to have Raquel and Dakota 
on the main roster shows a little bit more, but we'll see. We'll see. I'll take that. I, I, I get the feeling that they wanted to keep the titles protected for this uh, Bianca I, Sasha I story. This is the start of an angle. I, I, I don't. I didn't see that as the end of the angle. I saw that as like uh, uh, the first beat of the angle. Yeah, probably multi-women schmas at Mania with maybe Raquel and, and Dakota and Billy Kay teams up with Oscar <laughs> or, or no teams up with somebody teams up with Reginald and then you have the Riot Squad to take the job or something. I just it's. It's a mess. It's a mess. Reginald has made this entire stupid division a mess. That's because they the won't man. put the belt on him. All right, uh, that's enough. That's enough <laughs> bitching. I'm I'm calling it. <laughs> uh, Wait, do you have something else for uh, for NXT that you really want to talk about? Um, you know, Everrise like rules. I Everrise does rule. I like Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher. Their, their chemistry is growing. Yeah, and I Let's... actually think the the angle involving imperium is interesting and fun um i i it's kind of like it's a classic angle of like can tomasa Ciampa really trust timothy thatcher is timothy thatcher really changing his ways or will the attraction of joining imperium um be alluring to thatcher or is it all a big bait and switch for walter to return chris what's the fatal flaw in this angle the fatal flaw in this angle. Or what, it, what, what's what's the thing that's missing in this angle right now? A clear endpoint. They've never established that Timothy Thatcher and Imperium have ever been friends. I that is they... something from the Indies, from Ring Comp, but they never oh. have established that Timothy Thatcher and Walter and. Uh, I thought they did something on NXT television, like in like a tag match or something, at some point. They may have th- mentioned it in passing, but I, look, or maybe they're not masters of subtlety, UK. Chris. They would never no, do no. You're, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. Um, no, I, and, and I, in my head, they had touched on at some point in WWE world, but you're, you're right. Like it's not, it's not been a major point. And the idea when Imperium came out and they were staring at Thatcher. Um, it was not my first thought. I just thought they were looking at Ciampa and Thatcher and going, here are guys we can feed with because Thatcher thinks the mat is sacred. Like, you know, Thatcher does take wrestling very seriously and Imperium takes wrestling very seriously. And you can actually this like discrepancy between them being like the mat is sacred versus like Thatcher's like, I'm going to grind you into the mat sort of thing. Well, Tim Thatcher was the first member of ring comp. And then he brought Walter in. Uh, I believe they made their debut as a team at PWG here, if I'm correct on that. I might be wrong on that. And then eventually Axel Dieter Jr., a.k.a. Uh, I always forget his Alexander name. Alexander Wolf. No, 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 no. Not not Alexander Wolf. Axel Dieter Jr. is, is the guy who teams with uh, Fabian Eichner. Oh, you mean uh, Marcel Bartel. Marcel Bartel, thank you. Yeah, uh, they joined, and it became kind of a stable that crossed over certain indies and stuff. You have enough footage, I think WWE owns, to have made a video package explaining all this, and they didn't. And so now you're watching this thing where they're out there looking, and, and Thatcher's kind of looking or whatever, and they 
they kind of are giving you the exposition as it's going, as opposed to letting letting the viewer then connect the dots, which is the more, which is the better approach in my opinion. But yeah, yeah that's the thing that's and, missing for me here. No, no, you're right. Um, and this would be another story that I think is maybe needs an extra week of of storytelling and exposition. It, you know, we're, we're always complaining about long form stories, but another complaint that it, like is a weird one to see as as a steady it's sustaining complaint, but makes I guess some sense, is that they are blowing beats of stories. Sometimes yes. you two or three weeks of story in one week to the point where it does a disservice because like in a lot of cases these plots are not that deep. It's just which way is this story going to twist and turn next week? Tune in to find out. Mm-hmm. I agree. Call it a wrap on that. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at DWATG. That stands for Don't Worry About the Government. You can follow just the show when we drop at Shake Them Ropes. I retweet on that account only when Voices of Wrestling, the Grand Poobahs, Joe or Rich, upload the episode. So if you don't want to follow my banality on Twitter and my begging Peacock for a fight, you can just follow at Shake Them Ropes. Chris does political podcasts as Don't Worry About the Government. Tell us about that, Chris. Yeah, so I've done a couple of episodes here in the last week. Uh, every Sunday, we are now going through the news of the week. I'm like looking through lots of different sources, and we're doing a big rundown uh, on the Sunday show, uh, 509. We talked about toxic food. Uh, an interesting FDA report out about toxic baby food, but also other heavy metals and toxic elements that uh, are appearing in the food supply. I've seen a lot of coverage about a lot of stories and books and, you know, potato heads and stuff like that. Uh, you might want to look into this story about the FDA and the food. You can check that up out on episode 509. If you're interested in kids going back to school, I had two different teachers from two different school districts come on the show for episode 510. We talked about what reopening looks like in schools, the science, um, their thoughts about getting vaccinated and getting back into the classroom and all of that. So check it out over at don'tworry.tv on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. I think I know the big signing in AEW, and we'll tell you that next. It's my butt. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H E R O.co.